Refuge to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. Today's sutta that we'll go through is the Seka Patipada Sutta, which is in the Middle Length Discourses, Majjhima Nikaya, number 53. And it's a discourse on the trainee's mode of progress. So in this sutta, Venerable Ananda gives an explanation of 15 accomplishments in conduct and three accomplishments in knowledge that are encouraged for the trainee or otherwise known as learner to progress on the Buddha's path. Okay, so now we're covering hiri and autopi, so moral shame and fear of wrongdoing. So what you find in the suttas, and there are a lot of suttas about hiri and autopi, or hiri and autopa, either way is fine, so I'll, I'll use that. They're complementary qualities that the Buddha has designated, two bright qualities that guard the world. What the Buddha says in this particular sutta, Charya Sutta, I found quite interesting. So it says, monks, these two bright qualities guard the world. Which two? A sense of shame and fear of wrongdoing. If these two bright qualities did not guard the world, there would be no recognition of mother here, no recognition of mother's sister, uncle's wife, teacher's wife, or wife of those who deserve respect. The world would be immersed in promiscuity, like rams with goats, roosters with pigs, or dogs with jackals. But because these two bright qualities guard the world, there is recognition of mother, mother's sister, uncle's wife, teacher's wife, and wife of those who deserve respect. Clearly you can see here that in the mundane sense, in the samsaric sense, the hiri and autopa, these, these are qualities that are the foundation for morality. You know, this is what makes a moral society a relatively wholesome society. As it says, if we don't have it, then things start to fall apart and, and there's nothing that sustains the, the society in a good way. But as part of the supramundane, like those on the path, the Noble Eightfold Path, then these two qualities are particularly useful powers of a seka. And we'll see as we go through both individually and together how that is so. Now in the Avija Sutta, which is a different one from the one we've covered before about the ten qualities, this one is in uh, chapter 45, discourse number one. It actually talks about Vija, like just knowledge in general, particularly true knowledge. And it says that these knowledges lead to wholesome states, and, and normally it's accompanied by hiri and autopa, this shame and fear of wrongdoing. A wise person, when you're armed with knowledge, like some kind of wisdom really, and you're armed with this shame and this fear of wrongdoing, what happens is the Noble Eightfold Path manifests. And why this is important is because if you don't have this particular knowledge and you don't have hiri and autopa, you're actually developing the wrong path. That's what the sutta says, and I thought that was, was quite important. If you have no shame, particularly about the Buddha's teachings and what the difference between kusala and akusala, and you don't even fear the difference between kusala and akusala, and particularly kamma, then you could be walking the wrong path because it starts with the wrong view, then you have the wrong intention, the wrong action, wrong livelihood, because it doesn't matter what, what you do, um, you the wrong speech, and then wrong kind of mindfulness, wrong effort, and then wrong concentration. Whereas if you have the right things and you have this sense of shame and you have a clear fear of 
wrongdoing because you know the consequences, then you actually have right view. You have particularly because right view understands karma, cause and effect. That in turn means that you have the right intention, right actions, right livelihood, right speech, effort, mindfulness, and then right concentration. So we start to see why it's quite important. There are more suttas, so I'll just quickly run through these two qualities because I think before we deep dive into each one, it's useful to see the types of things that Buddha is saying. Buddha says that if you have these two, you dwell happily. If you have these two, you won't decline as a seeker. You'll be deposited in heaven. These two qualities are also part of the qualities that determine rebirth. So it says you can be reborn in a good destination if you have this moral shame and if you have this fear of wrongdoing. In this life, you'll live with ease rather than living with debt. I think this is the inner sutta, which is basically that if you're living, indulging in sensual pleasures, then you end up debt-bound. Because if you remember, there's also that simile that Buddha gives for karmachanda, sensual desire is really like a debt, and you end up poor and penniless, which makes sense in, in, in that regard. Then Buddha also says that you're agreeable to your spiritual companions if you have this hiri and otapa. You can see why, because someone with hiri, which is this moral shame and has fear of wrongdoing, is someone that is always encouraging one to stay within the bounds of kusala. You demonstrate that by your own actions, that you are a kusala type person, dasa kusala. And when you hang out with your kalyana mithas, they are also on the same path, so they like the fact that you are also the same through your actions. And, and so that makes you agreeable. There's no discord. Whereas I think like goes with like. Same with people that are more into darker qualities. They, they kind of like being around each other. But for spiritual companions, having Kiri and Otapa, it's, it's a real positive thing. Kiri and Otapa are both considered treasures, and there's two particular suttas that talk about treasures. And in them, the most pointed thing is really, the first thing is that it's lasting. It's true lasting wealth because it brings happiness and, and liberation. And the second one is that unlike material possessions, they're not subject to fire, not subject to flood, not subject to kings, thieves or hateful heirs. So, you know, material possessions are clearly, the Buddha is saying, you know, they can be taken from you by natural disaster or nefarious people or, or same things like that. But if you develop these qualities, no one can really take it from you in that way. They're, they're, they're qualities that will go with you. And so that, in, in, in that respect, it's a real treasure because you, you'll always have it. What does the Seka Pakivada Sutta say about Hiri? And it basically says, one has shame, one is ashamed at the thought of engaging in bodily misconduct, verbal misconduct, mental misconduct, and is ashamed of engaging in evil, unwholesome deeds. As we know, Dasa Akusala fits very nicely into what that physical, verbal and mental misconduct is. So in a physical sense, uh, it's really about killing living beings, uh, taking what hasn't been given or otherwise called uh, stealing, uh, misconduct with sensual pleasures. So this is on the super mundane path. It's that extra. It's more than just sexual misconduct. It's like we thought the misconduct with all our sense senses towards sensual pleasures. In verbal action, it's about lying or false speech. It's also about harsh speech, divisive speech, frivolous speech, and then 
from a mental perspective, it's wrong view, ill will, and covetousness. Moral shame, what the commentaries normally say is that the characteristic of it is that you have some kind of disgust with unwholesome things, unwholesome actions. And what dominates it is a sense of one's own self-respect or integrity. When you think about, when you have shame about certain things, you're really talking about one's own integrity. Do you have principles? Do you have integrity? And how it can manifest is really about conscience. When you regret something or have remorse over something that maybe you, you couldn't help but do. So that's the moral shame. In terms of fear of wrongdoing, the characteristic is said to be you dread doing wrong things. And so you, you're very opposed to doing them. And what, what becomes obvious is you are dominated by a concern for not harming anyone in many ways. Be out of respect for others. Uh, you wouldn't want to do those bad things. So, for example, uh, out of concern for your parents and your parents' reputation, you may not want to do wrong things. That's a very mundane viewpoint of it. Or even from a society perspective, for a cohesive, uh, wholesome society, you may not want to do wrong things. So that's from a mundane perspective. From a super-mundane perspective, you really more have the right view because you understand kamma, the law of kamma, that... Whatever you do, you're the owner of that, the heir of that, and there are consequences of that. And so that's the super mundane fear of wrongdoing. And how that manifests in a healthy sense is a healthy fear of doing wrong. So not the one that's debilitating, but a very healthy fear of doing wrong, the one that is security that prevents you from doing something wrong. What's quite useful is probably to have a look at what it sounds like. But let's first look at... Let's look at the English translation. So I think we, we normally do this and it's quite helpful. So hiri, the words that come up for hiri are sense of shame, which we've been using, and I think it, there is a, a validity in using that. It also comes up as shyness in terms of restraint, like you're shy about certain things, so you restrain yourself from doing them. Also bashfulness, so like reluctance, you're bashful, so you're reluctant to do something. And then also respect for oneself, uh, conscience, which we've mentioned, scruples. So scruples is like you have scruples around doing the wrong thing or qualms. You're reluctant, again, not to do them. Ethics is another word that's used, very similar to principles and also very similar to integrity. And then a few more, a sense of disgust for wrongdoing. A moral sense and the last one is like an internal censure an internal yeah it's best not to do that you can clearly see that this this moral shame this sense of shame comes from something that you have within yourself so as a seeker you've developed many things along the path particularly sila and when we talk about sila sampano it's clear that you you come from that sense of wanting to maintain good sila and wanting to develop and grow further sila, refine it even more to help the path. And so it's an internal sense of knowing right from wrong in a mundane sense, but from a super mundane sense, it's knowing kusala from akusala. And so what kicks in is really that restraint once you know. Now, the other way of looking at hiri is to look at ahiri. What does it mean to do the opposite? So that translates as being shameless. So you lack shame, so you're quite shameless around what you do. Uh, immoral, having no scruples or no qualms. Uh, lacking conscience, 
lacking principles, having no second thoughts, not having any integrity, lacking self-respect, boldness, as in boldness towards doing whatever you want, maybe, brazen, and then having no internal censure. What you can see from Ahiri, the, the shamelessness, is that this really, these types of qualities really underpin unwholesome activity. These are the things that make us go gung-ho towards, oh, it doesn't matter what I say, it doesn't matter what I do, oh, I can think whatever I want, you know, that it comes from that, you know, quite shameless about it, quite brazen, uh, no concern. So you can already see that this good quality of hiri in particular, as opposed to ahiri, it helps us to develop and maintain moral virtue. So when it comes to sila santana, this quality is actually quite complementary, and I think I've mentioned that already. It's also very supportive of the security guard that we're talking about when it comes to injriya sukutatavaro, when it comes to guarding the doors to the sense faculty, that when you have the security guard in place, hiri, or this uh, sense of shame, is almost like a reinforcement and we'll come to that a little bit further along. So it's good to see the interworkings of how this path progresses when you develop these good qualities. Now, there's a, the Abhidhamma also has the Pugla Panapi uh, section, which is all about people, the type of, of persons that exist. And in there, it asks the question, what sort of person has a sense of shame? And then what is this sense of shame? So what is Hiri? And the answer to it in the Pugla Panati is to be ashamed of what one ought to be ashamed of, to be ashamed of performing bad and unwholesome deeds. A person who is possessed of a sense of shame like this is said to have integrity. Clearly, shame is a huge part of this, and it's shame towards unwholesome actions. And so the bar is set that when it comes to, for example, Dasa Akusala, Arahants, the Buddha, would completely shy away from these things. Now, in our case, as Sekas, we are somewhere along that line towards that process. And living lay lives, there are lots of challenges with that. So it's good to actually know that, okay, we're somewhere in there. We're not having no sila, definitely not there, but we're somewhere in, in the middle. And each of us is somewhere different along that line, depending on our circumstances depending on our practice and depending on how much we have a sense of shame and also a fear of wrongdoing. What's really uh, good to, to note is that um, in terms of uh, this mechanism of hiri, to me it, it's like an internal protection mechanism. I keep saying security, but it really feels like that. And when we come to the Nagaropama Sutta, you'll see why. But it's like our internal self-monitoring system it's the, the thoughts that come that say, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. It can be a really good safeguard for each of us. I think what's really important is to actually hear what ahiri sounds like and what hiri sounds like, because then you can see the distinction. So let me just give you an example, a few examples of what ahiri sounds like. So ahiri being, you know, when you're quite shameless. So the, the, the sound of it might be something like, Oh, it doesn't matter if I do this. It doesn't matter if I have some frivolous speech. Or it says, I don't care what people think or if they blame me for doing this. They say I'm a liar or whatever. I, I don't care. 
Or it might sound like, oh, everyone else does it. You know, my, my friends do it, so it doesn't matter if I join in too. Everybody's doing it. So this could be indulging in sense pleasures or something. Or it could be something like, uh, it sounds like, oh, that's bad, but I'll just do it anyway. Or another one could be, oh, it's just a little bit of harmless fun. Don't worry about it. Or another voice could be saying, it's okay to say things like this. There's no shame in it. And then another one could be, I'll just indulge a little bit. There's no harm. I'll be able to, I'll be able to refrain next time. And then another one could be, oh, no one's looking. No one's looking. If I just take this, you know, even though it hasn't been given to me, if I just take this now and, and just hide it, no one will see. Only I will know. And then another one, like in this internet age, I was thinking was um, sometimes you want to say something to someone, uh, but you don't want to say that it's you. And so you post it anonymously. And, and so you post it anonymously and then you say, oh, no one will know, so I won't be blamed for this. And so that's what Ahiri sounds like. It, it's actually quite dangerous because what happens is uh, if you give an inch, what are the chances of you doing that again? You, you have more of a chance. I, don't, I wouldn't say it's 100% chance, but you still have more of a chance. When you open the door to something that you don't, you, you, out of wisdom, you don't want to be opening the door to, then uh, clearly the door is already open. And then once it's open, it becomes, well, maybe I'll open a little bit more or something. That's one thing. The other thing is, that's how Mara comes in, that, that little bit, and, and then you can be kind of taken over, not to, not to alarm anyone, but it's just, it's just that thing, it's just good to know that once you open the fortress, like the Nagarokama Sutta, once you open the fortress, it's actually quite dangerous, good to know. The third one is like, um, you know, you actually, when you start breaking sila, you start to strengthen Logodosa Moha. These are the roots of, of bad qualities. So, for example, like if you say panatipata, killing of living beings, I mean, this is basically the hateful path. If you take what has not been given to you and offered to you, such as stealing, then this is about the greedy path. If you uh, have misconduct with the sense pleasures, more than what you're prepared to, to, to accept, this is the greedy path. Lying, greedy path, harsh speech, the hateful path, divisive speech, hateful path, frivolous speech, deluded path, wrong view, deluded path, ill will, hateful path, covetousness is a greedy path. Knowing that you are allowing the roots of Lobodosa Moha to take hold, even in a small way, it's good to know. Like, even if you still do it, uh, make it conscious. Uh, say, okay, well, maybe I don't have a sense of shame right now, but I am increasing right at this moment this particular mula, akusala mula. I think that's still helpful. And then the other thing to note is that if you start allowing ahiri to, to take hold, then what happens is you're hindering the seka practice, that, well, you have to start reinforcing again all the good work that you're doing. Part of right effort is to protect what you've already started to develop and so once you start opening the door to akusala it's important to know that you're you're hindering your path it's either about to veer the wrong way of course or it's stagnating in the wrong place and so it's important to actually recognize that that's part of hiri if we go on and to complement that we start looking at what is hiri 
you know, when that kicks in, what does hiri sound like? Well, hiri sounds like this. If I do this bad thing and people find out, I'll feel ashamed, you know, and I'll really regret it. Uh, so maybe I shouldn't do it. So that's, that's one of the ways it sounds. Uh, another way could be, if I were to do bad things, wouldn't people blame me for doing that? And so that's another another thing. That's also in the, one of the suttas. It sounds exactly like that. I think um, one of the suttas says, if I were to do bad things, akusala, but where body, speech, and mind, wouldn't others blame me for my conduct? That's what is said in that in that particular sutta. Another one could be, if you're a parent, you could you could think, oh, would I want my children to behave like this, or to see me doing this and becoming an example for them to then do this? Another sound could be uh, a thought of, of Hiri could be, oh, it's better not to do this uh, because it compromises my sila. And if it compromises my sila, then I'm going to have to do a lot of cleaning and I won't be able to easily cultivate metta. You know, so that's another thought uh, that, that is leaning towards Hiri. Another one would be, what would the noble ones think if they were to observe me? Like, would they reprove if they uh, witnessed my misconduct? So that's another thought of Hiri. Another one could be, am I a good example for other people who follow my example on this path? And if they were to see me telling someone off, for example, is, is that something that, uh, isn't that quite shameful? Uh, and, and a similar one is like, am I a good example for the triple gem, for the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, for the Buddha's teachings? Uh, that's another kind of thought that leans towards Hiri. So you can see um, by, by voicing what, those two different things sound like you can really start to tease out where one is at now we're not here to beat ourselves up about where we are along but it's important to know the bar is set a particular way and you look at where you are individually in your practice and we've all had recent incidences where you know we may have cause for regret or something but it's good to to think about like what are the things that could have kicked in or maybe partially kicked in but we ignored and then to grow those good qualities of of hiri now if we go along to the nagaropama sutta if you remember nagaropama sutta just to refresh everyone's memory it was about the citadel or the royal fortress basically what uh, the king was doing was setting himself up with seven essentials and four kinds of food uh, that could be obtained without will. And what the king was able to do is that when he has those things, basically he can't be overrun by armies of enemies or foes and the castle or the fortress or the citadel uh, is well protected. In the same way, you know, the seven good qualities that we're talking about and then the four jhanas, it means you can't be overrun by Mara. So the evil and wholesome things can't enter which is the whole point of what we're trying to develop with the Sekapa, that we have developed certain good qualities, we have certain maybe path and fruit, and we want to protect that, and then we want to develop and grow further. So if one is a Sotapanna, for example, and has path and fruit of Sotapanna, you actually want to develop and grow towards Sakadagami and, and develop path and fruit for that. Then once you're Sakadagami, you want to develop further. Now, it's not as explicit don't make a problem out of these terms, but I'm just saying that on this path, all we're trying to do is develop so that the, the path to Nibbana becomes clearer and it becomes a lot easier in terms of living out the remainder of our lives and knowing with maybe more certainty, more inner certainty that we are 
heading for a good destination or for ultimate liberation. That's the whole purpose of this training. Last time we covered the pillar with deep foundations for Sadda. This week we'll be looking at the moat and looking at the patrol path. So for right now we look at the moat and what we have here is if we go directly to the sutta, the Nagaropama sutta, which we've read out before, it says that just as the royal frontier fortress has a moat, both deep and wide, for the protection of those within and to ward off those without, in the same way, the disciple of the noble ones has a sense of shame. They feel shame at the thought of engaging in bodily misconduct, verbal misconduct, mental misconduct, they feel shame at falling into evil, unwholesome actions. It then goes on. So that's very similar to the Seka Patipada Sutta, but then it goes on. And this is what is also quite helpful about the Nagaropama Sutta. It says, with shame as their moat, the disciple of the noble ones abandons what is evil, develops what is skillful, abandons what is blameworthy, develops what is blameless, and looks after himself with purity. They possess this second good quality. The reason why Nagaropama Sutta is useful is one for the, the example of the moat, which I'll explain in a little bit more detail, but also for this, this second part to these words. Clearly these words show activity. This is something where we, we actively have to do something. We actively have to abandon that which is unskillful. We actively have to develop what is skillful. And at the end of it, you need to apply effort is basically what Buddha is saying in this particular sutta and what Venerable Ananda in the Sekapatipada Sutta is implying. When we look at this moat, if you, if you remember moat goes around the whole citadel or the whole fortress, it's a body of water that guards, so it keeps um, enemies at bay. It's another representation of security, similar to the security guard when we guard the doors to the sense faculties. It's an added measure of protection. When it says the moat is deep and wide, to me that's like it's being reinforced. The deeper it is, the harder it is to cross. And the fact that it's wide means you know, it's extra reinforcement, extra backup. In some ways, you could see the moat as an additional security barrier, as opposed to the security guard. This is a security barrier that we put in place a bit like a moat. And so we protect our moral virtue that we already have in this way. In many ways, you could perceive the security barrier as our internal conscience, our sense of shame, our sense of integrity towards maintaining good sila. Now, one of, the, one of the issues that most people come up with when it comes to hiri, in particular, or even hindrances or defilements, is a sense of guilt. I think it's really important to say that the Buddha and the Arahants, they don't encourage us to wallow in guilt or guilty feelings. The Buddha is quite clear about that. You don't read the suttas and, and say, the Buddha never says, you know, it's okay to indulge in guilt or guilty feelings. And if you remember the Lord Moha meditation, when it comes to disagreeable object, you end up with contact as unpleasant, and then you have painful feelings that could be sadness or sorrow or, or that sort of thing. But clearly you end up in Dukkha Dukkata, which is uh, painfulness in pain. That's not something that we want to follow. And, and so that's one of the things that we can use in terms of not abiding in, in, in guilt. Clearly the Nagarupa Masutha is not encouraging us to do that, it's actually saying abandon what is unskillful. 
that's one aspect that is quite important to, to recognize that we're not meant to wallow in guilt. So it's okay to regret. There's a healthy aspect to regret. And there's one sutta that's quite useful for that, which is the Atanuvada Sutta. It's in chapter four of the Anguttara Nikaya, and it's uh, discourse number 121. And that is looking at a healthy kind of fear of guilt that you don't want to blame yourself and, and remain in that blaming uh, spot where you keep just telling yourself off for having done something wrong. What it says here is you should reflect, if I were to do bad things by body, speech and mind, wouldn't I blame myself for that conduct? And so when you're afraid of those guilt, the, the guilt or blaming oneself, you give up the bad conduct by way of body, speech and mind and then you develop the good conduct by way of body, speech and mind and you keep yourself pure. It's very, very similar to this Nagaropama Sutta. So you see the reinforcement in Buddha's teachings. Rather than wallowing in guilt, you need to abandon it. And how do we do that? Well, we've, we've done this many times. When you look at the Vatupama Sutta, you look at the Anumana Sutta, Salega Sutta, all these different kinds of suttas, even the Karaniya Metta Sutta, what do we do when we do that? Normally we acknowledge when it's there, whether it's a defilement, a hindrance, or an unwholesome action, whether it's body, speech, and mind. And we acknowledge it, and then we regret that, that unwholesome thing. And then what we do is we abandon it, and we say, we're not going to do it again. We make a strong intention not to do it again. And, and so in that way, you're actively cleansing a lot of this process while we're seekers, is cleansing of things that we consciously or unconsciously did, and particularly the conscious ones. If we have knowingly done something, particularly with our speech, or maybe even with our actions, or quite commonly with our thoughts, you know, it's good to actually regret those things and to move past them. Because then at that point, particularly when it comes to karaniya metta, you cleanse it, and then you actively cultivate metta towards all living beings. So that's, you know, a, a very good example that when you start doing karaniya metta, as we all know, it's your cleansing of dasa akusala in order to do the, the metta bhavana. And so that's a very good example of how you don't wallow in guilt. You actually actively cleanse it, you move on, and then you cultivate something that is very, very wholesome for all living beings. Now, the other thing that I would highlight around guilt is Buddha always emphasizes with the rejoicing aspect, not the beating oneself selves up aspect. So Buddha and the Arahants, if you if you remember from most of the suttas, it's always rejoicing the absence of akusala, the absence of hindrances, the absence of defilements. Pamada Vihari Sutta is a very obvious one for that, if you remember. You know, when we did the Pamada Vihari Sutta, we saw the distinction between what is dwelling vigilantly with restraint, so this is the Apamada Vihara, or dwelling negligently, which is the Pamada Vihari. When we're looking, particularly on this slide, when we're looking at when we do have restraint, you know, when the security is in place, and in this case, when we're not allowing ourselves to, to go out into even more guilt and things like that, then what happens is the mind is unpolluted and gladness arises. So this is part of the rejoicing aspect. When there is gladness that you don't have these unwholesome activities or unwholesome mental states, then, you know, there, there can be rapture. You know, the body becomes quite tranquil at that point because it's a rejoicing aspect. And from that place, you dwell in happiness. And really, what are you rejoicing in? You're rejoicing in the near miss. 
quite often there are things that we do that are near misses, that they didn't happen, but it was a near miss because it almost happened. We almost broke Zila or something, or almost went down the wrong activity with certain people, wrong company. Part of this practice is very much to rejoice and be glad about when we stay on the wholesome path, when we actually follow our training, so to speak. And there's one more sutta, not to flood you with too many suttas, but this is the Hiri Ōtapa Sutta. And it's, it's a very, very lovely sutta that I would encourage everyone to look at offline. This sutta is about the foundation steps towards bhāna. It's very similar in the latter part of the Jnāna-patha, the knowledge pathway, similar to Upanisa Sutta, because it's talking about Upanisa in the sense of proximate causes. Basically, it uses the simile of a tree. And it basically says that if a tree is deficient in branches, so this is on the right-hand side of the, the column, when you have a deficiency in shame and fear of wrongdoing, so both Hiri and Ōtapa are missing, then it leads to certain things. So it leads to the fact that, you know, it's difficult for you to restrain the sense faculties. It then becomes very difficult for you to maintain good sila. In fact, it says here, no virtuous conduct. And then you can't get to samadhi. And also in terms of the true knowledge and vision, it becomes also challenged. And then when that happens, then it's very difficult to have this disenchantment and dispassion, nibbida viraga. And ultimately, then there's no proximate cause for vimuktinyana dasana, which is the uh, knowledge and vision for liberation. Now, on the good side, if you're a tree with branches, which you can see in the background to this slide, it has branches. What it's saying is if you do have both hiri and otapa, then there is proximate cause for uh, indriya sangvara, right? And so when you have this indriya sangvara, then samasamadhi has a proximate cause. And then you see again, you know, this is the wholesome path, similar to Upanisa Sutta, that leads you toward liberation. At a greater level, you can see that one on the seeker path, I think what this is really saying, on the seeker path, you can grow to more fullness. You can really grow and develop on the seeker path if you have these two good qualities, Kiri and Ōtapa. And they really lend themselves to developing the pathway in a very, very strong and wholesome manner and very complementary to Upanisa Sutta, very complementary to some of the other Patipadas that we actually do. So I would encourage, like, if you get a chance to, to take a closer look at Hiriotapa, given that you've actually studied Upanisa Sutta before with Bhante, it, it should be something that you are familiar with in terms of Jnanapatta. Now, there's also other, I won't cover um, Maha Asapura Sutta, but you've probably heard of it before when we've done the hindrances, the Nibbaranas. But Maha Asapura Sutta, which is in the Majjhimanakaya number 39, it says similar things. But the one thing that I thought was really interesting about the Maha Asapura Sutta was that it encourages even more. It says, even if you have a good sense of hiri and otapa, and even if you have good sila by body, speech and mind, even if you have good livelihood, there's still more to be done. And then it goes through further things that can be done. And I think that's the thing on the seeker path, that one aspect is you say, oh, it's too hard. But the thing is, if you even take one small step in the right direction, you feel good about it. On the other hand, even when you're doing a lot, it's also good to know that Buddha is saying, 
well, you can still do even more. And I think there's something that's really quite joyful about that, that together, you know, we can encourage each other not to think, oh, it's too hard on the one hand, but also on the other hand to say, yeah, there's still more to do. And even as we're doing it, it's quite joyful. In essence, I think this section is really saying, if you have any guilty feelings from hindrances, defilements, unwholesome conduct, because we're lay people, it's bound to happen in terms of the situations we find ourselves in at work, with families, with our neighborhood, with our friends, you know, all those sorts of things. It's good to nip those guilty feelings in the bud. And I think the three different ways of looking at it are very helpful that I've just gone through. So, you know, using the cleansing process, thinking about Nagarokama Sutta in terms of giving up the, the unwholesome things and cultivating the good, such as the example of Metta Bhavana. You clean it up and then you cultivate Metta to everyone. Or the third one is really things like this particular Sutta or even the Pamada Vihari to rejoice in the fact that we, we do actually have some bright qualities. And, and on that level, it's something that gladdens the mind. It's a bit like when you, when you offer dana or when you are generous, the mind immediately brightens. And in the same way, when you know you are actually nurturing and developing good qualities, it's the same thing. One can rejoice. And so one should see Hiri in particular, and we'll come to Otapa a little bit later, um, but when it comes to both, uh, one should feel uplifted by being able to develop and grow this aspect of the practice. The other thing I was thinking that I would mention, and I, I mention it with gentleness and kindness to everyone because this is how I, I, I considered it myself, that, you know, as sekas, it's certainly, there's an aspect of shamefulness that comes when we have all these wise teachings of the Buddha some of which we do understand, some of it we do know how to practice. And it feels shameful when we don't apply the medicine. To me, Hiri is like, when we have this medicine, but we don't apply it, we know it. It's something that should be thought about. And again, you know, it shouldn't be that Buddha's teaching, we hear it, we understand it, and then it sits on the shelf. No, it's very much that one needs to rejoice and, and, and then actually apply it. From a place of gentleness and kindness, I would really encourage you that we don't would put this teaching on the shelf after we hear it or read it and stuff. We actually think about the ways and means that we can, each of us, put it into daily practice and also put it into empowering our formal meditation practice to understand why we're really doing these things and actively apply them because I, I think Buddha's message is quite clear that if we do these things then in this particular life for however long we have left in this particular life we'll have happiness and then also as we develop our practice we'll see it grow and we'll see progress in the right direction as Buddha says we are leaning towards Nibbana towards that good destination and to ultimate liberation so there are many other suttas about Kiri and I think what I, I won't go through all of them. There's actually quite a few in the Sutta Nipata that are quite useful, but maybe we'll, if we have time, we'll look at them a bit later. What I'd like to do now is spend a little bit of time meditating. So I have a short meditation that I think we could do maybe for, uh, let me see, what's the time now? Maybe for like 15 minutes. And I'll give you a few steps for the meditation because I think it's just a very simple meditation. 
for us to get a glimpse of Hiri because we all have it, but we may not have known that we can develop it. So the first step is you recall a situation, a recent situation where there's been some kind of misconduct. So it could be you told someone off, it could have been indulging in sense pleasures, it could be being angry with someone, holding hostility in your mind, something like that, you know, whatever it is. So recall that, that situation. The second step is to investigate when that situation happened, did any hiri kick in? Did it fully kick in? Did it partially kick in? Did it not kick in at all? So hiri being, oh, you know, the voice that kind of says to yourself, maybe I shouldn't do that, or if I do that, wouldn't people blame me? Or uh, what would the noble ones think if, if, if they were to see me doing this? That, that type of thing. So you investigate in that recent situation whether hiri kicked in at all. The third step is to contemplate, okay, for that misconduct, which mullah was activated? Which akusala mullah? Was it greedy? Was it hateful? Was it deluded? Okay, so you investigate. So if it was, say, for example, if it was frivolous speech, then you know that is the uh, moha mullah, the deluded, uh, root of delusion. And so you contemplate then, ah, there's danger in this. If I do this, then I'm increasing the moha mullah, because it's not a moha, it's moha. And so when you do that, when you're able to identify that, you regret and you abandon. You say, I, I really don't want to be doing this because what I'm doing is going against the Noble Eightfold Path. I'm actually reinforcing the wrong aspect. And, and then you, you abandon it. And so then the fourth step is, next time this happens, what would you do? What are the types of hiri thoughts you should be having? when this similar situation comes, like if you're in a social environment and that, that situation comes up again, what would you what would you do? Like in terms of what would you think for yourself? How would Hiri kick in? And what would you like for Hiri to kick in? And at that point you rejoice because you see what Hiri sounds like and how you could apply it in the next situation. And then the fifth step is very simple. You make a strong intention that when you see this you make a strong intention to develop more of this shame, your know, sense of shame, this hiri. Okay, so this is the meditation. Well, I'll just repeat the steps again. You recall a recent situation of misconduct, whatever it is. It could be body, speech, or mind. Then you investigate for that situation. Did any form of hiri come up in your mind? Then the third step is you look at what akusala mullah. Was it greedy? Was it hateful? Was it deluded that activated that misconduct? And look at the danger of it. And when you see it, you regret. And then you abandon. And then the fourth step is, okay, next time, what kind of thoughts am I meant to have for Hiri to kick in? And the last one is you make a strong intention not to, to have that kind of behavior again, misconduct again. That's useful to actually practice now. So if we meditate for say about 15 minutes and I will bring us back from the meditation in that time so just quickly again recall a recent situation of misconduct by body speech and mind just one situation investigate whether that sense of shame the hiri came up whether it was partial fully or not at all then contemplate which mullah you know which akusala mullah what root was it greedy hateful or deluded that was activated and then recognize the danger of it because you're, you're going down the wrong pathway. Regret it, abandon it. And then the fourth step is, what would you do next time? 
How would Hiri kick in? What would it sound like? And then rejoice at seeing that, being able to see what it would sound like, rejoice in that. And then make a strong intention is the last step to actually cultivate more Hiri. Okay, Theravan Saranai. So before we go on to the Otapi, uh, fear of wrongdoing, uh, just a couple more things to say about Hiri. There's a number of suttas uh, in the Ankutu Nikaya, which I thought I'd just briefly mention. With Hiri, what it says is you can't go towards Akusula. I mean, that actually is after what we've spoken about. It's actually quite obvious. You, you actually can't go towards Akusula if you have a healthy sense of shame in place. The other thing it says is you can't fail in the good Dhamma because I guess you're always in that space. And then the other thing that is very encouraging is you're capable of growth, progress and maturity in Dhamma. I mean, it's quite obvious that if you're shameless and uh, lacking in a sense of integrity, then it's, it's quite difficult to grow on this path because Buddha's path is grounded in, in moral virtue. It makes a lot of sense that when you have a sense of, of healthy shame, then the one's integrity helps you to mature on the path, to grow on the path, and to make progress. So we'll move on now to the orthopy, which is the fear of consequences of wrongdoing. So let me just change the slide. Okay, so the Seka Palipada Sutta, back to this again, we will come to that. But what I might start with is how we endowed with fear of wrongdoing. So that's the question that we're asking as we go through this. Now, we'll look at the English translation of Otapi, similar to Otapa, in the sense that what we've already used is fear of wrongdoing. So this is like a healthy fear. We're afraid of wrong. We're afraid of evil. We have fear of blame or censure, moral dread, dread of the consequences. Uh, one is prudent. Uh, again, the word scrupulous. Shrinking from doing bad. There's also remorse and a sense of concern about wrongdoing. There's another word called compunction, which I don't use a lot, but uh, it supposedly means that you feel uneasy or anxious about causing regret from doing wrong things. So almost like contrition. And then discretion. When you hear these, these words, it gives you this, this strong sense of consequences uh, and also being afraid of, of what will happen if you do bad things. Then, as we've always done, you look at the opposite, anotapa. What does that actually mean? Well, to understand orthopods, it's useful to actually look at the opposite. And so words like impudent, unrepentant, unremorseful, brazen, uh, lack of conscience, no regard for ramifications, unscrupulousness, disregard for morality, lack of fear of wrongdoing, unafraid of evil, lack of fear of blame or censure, careless, reckless, lacking discretion, lacking compunction. So what that kind of tells us is that what's really lacking in, in, in the quality of anotapa is that you're lacking right view because you actually have no mind to the consequences of your actions and whether it's kamma or whether it's even punishment. So that, that's quite interesting. Whereas when you have the feeling of 
uh, dread towards the consequences or fear of, of wrongdoing. It's really about right view, quite strong. So the Abhidhamma, the Pugala Panati, um, that, there's a chapter that talks about when someone has autapi. And it says, what sort of person has fear of wrongdoing? What then is fear of wrongdoing? And so the answer that comes up is being afraid where one ought to be. Afraid as to performing bad and unwholesome deeds, this is said to be the fear of wrongdoing. A person who is possessed of fear like this is said to be a prudent person. So that's quite helpful and nothing surprising in that either. So when we turn to the slide and what it says about Sekhapatipada Sutta and about Bhotapi, it says, he has fear of wrongdoing. Uh, he is afraid over the suffering that would result from bodily misconduct, verbal misconduct, mental misconduct, afraid of engaging in evil, unwholesome deeds. So very similar to Kiri, except for instead of ashamed, one is afraid. Again, this is like an internal preventative mechanism. You know, it's that feeling of security again, that when you understand the consequences of if you were to embark or undertake wrong, unwholesome conduct, uh, you know what's going to happen, or you have a, a conviction about or knowledge about what, what could potentially happen. And so it kind of protects you. When it kicks into place, it protects you from doing wrong. Again, you know, similar to here, it's connected to sila sampano because when it kicks in, it's actually protecting whatever sila you have developed to that point, and it enables you to further refine your sila as you go along because it's there as, as a protection. It's also when we're concerned about the fruit of our bad actions, whether it's physical, verbal, or, or mental, that is also something that we contemplate, particularly on the sacred path, particularly if you're on the Noble Eightfold Path and you have the super mundane right view about the law of karma. So let's see what anotapa and otapa sounds like, a bit like what we did in Hiri. So I'll give a few examples. So anotapa sounds like, I'm not afraid of the consequences of my bad actions. It doesn't matter if I have misconduct. There are no repercussions or minimal repercussions. I don't care what other people think about my misdeeds. My friends do it and they're not afraid of the consequences, so why should I be? Or it could be something like, there's only this life, nothing beyond, so I can do what I like. Or it's something also like, I don't care if I'm setting a bad example. It doesn't matter if they blame me. And so that, that's kind of a little bit like what Anotapa may sound like. Now, when Otapa kicks in, it may sound different. It sounds like, if I embark on this unwholesome activity, there will be consequences. Or it could be, maybe I shouldn't do this, as I'll accrue unwholesome karma. Another one could be, how will my actions impact upon my loved ones or people that I respect? Or it could be, I really don't want to be told off or punished if I get caught for this. Maybe it's not a good idea to do this bad thing. Another one could be, if I continue down this path, I'll end up in a bad destination, like the Buddha said. Another one could be, what would the noble ones think if they were to observe my bad actions? And the other one is, uh, if I do this and other people follow my bad example, I may accrue bad karma for leading them astray. And another one might be, I may be reborn in hell or one of the lower realms if I do this, particularly if you know it's killing and, and, and those harsher types of uh, dasa kusula. 
So clearly, from hearing what they both sound like, uh, you get this impression that as a, as a result of fearing the consequences of wrong, wrongdoing, particularly the karmic consequences, that one, you'll be punished or blamed or there'll be some kind of external social censure. And uh, the second part is really, from a Buddhist perspective, in particular Buddhist teaching, is very much about rebirth. We are bound to samsara if we continue to do unwholesome things and if we don't have sufficient true knowledge and vision to get out of samsara, then rebirth could be expected in a bad, bad, bad place, a bad destination. What's really telling about all of it is the anotapa, the one where you don't fear or dread the consequences, there will be no ending of karma there with, with the people that you are associated with, with the circumstances that you are conditioned by. Whereas otapa, there is an idea, particularly based on right view, where you actually have this idea, this notion, this, this conviction that you actually want to end karma, particularly around speech and around actions and, of course, mental actions as well. But what you come to is that you don't want to create any more unwholesome karma with anyone. And so I think when Otapa becomes more fully developed, there's a really strong emphasis of it in one's mind, in one's conduct. You don't want to actually create further suffering, even for the people that are, are living with you and around you. It can be quite helpful when you see it, see it that way. Now, we may not all see it uh, moment to moment like that or even at an ultimate level, but I think it's useful to take into one's mind that Ending of karma is something that is really important, that if we continue, particularly around speech, to keep feeding the roots of the unwholesome side, then there is no ending of karma. And even mentally, if we keep having hostility and ill will or coveting or particularly wrong view around karma, then there is no ending of karma that is possible because you just keep reinforcing Lobodosa uh, Moha. But the sacred path is very much having in mind, particularly around this fear of wrongdoing, that one wants to end karma, one wants to actually uh, have a happier existence for the rest of one's life, but also to end up in a good destination or to ultimately to uh, be liberated. Now, similar to the Hiri side, in terms of Bhotapa, uh, you know, what happens is it's good to have a healthy fear of punishment. It's good to have a healthy fear of rebirth in, the, in, a, in a bad place, you know, out of right view. And so there's this sutta, which I mentioned before, which is that Atanuvada sutta uh, in the Anguttara Nikaya. And it talks about the healthy fear of punishment in the present life. So in that particular sutta, it talks about um, when a criminal or bandit is, is arrested or taken and the punishments that could be uh, given and they're quite gruesome it ranges from whipping caning clubbing to cutting off their hands and feet cutting off their ears or nose all kinds of uh, things to do with burning and, and oh, yeah meat hooks and all kinds of things and so it's quite visual and when you read it, it it's it's quite dire and so what it says is knowing that there are these kinds of punishments, even being impaled alive or being beheaded, what one should think, what this sutta, what Buddha is saying is you should think, if I were to do the same kind of thing, then I would be punished in the same way. So when you're afraid of that kind of punishment, this is a very mundane thing, you know, when you're afraid of that kind of 
punishment. You won't want to steal. You won't want to kill. You won't want to do misdeeds. And so in that way, you give up bad conduct, whether it's body, speech, and mind, and you keep yourself pure. So that's the fear of punishment. So in our existence, from a mundane perspective, it's like we don't like being told off. We don't like being locked away or jailed. We don't want to be exiled from our loved ones. We don't want to have our material possessions taken away from us. So, you know, that's a mundane sort of stopgap that says, well, I don't want to be punished for wrong deeds in a social society sense. From a super mundane sense in terms of the Buddhist teaching, well, then the second type of fear comes in about the fear of rebirth in a bad place, our future life, Dugati Bayam. From that perspective, what happens is you reflect, okay, if I have bad conduct by body, speech, and mind, then I can expect a bad result in the next life. And so if I were to continue to do these things, the place where I'll be born is a place of loss, could be even hell. And therefore, when you're afraid of that kind of consequence of one's actions or collection of one's actions, then you would abandon unwholesome thought, speech, and physical actions, and you would develop only the good conduct, and you keep yourself quite pure. So that that's useful in terms of practice, and very uh, it aligns with everything else that Buddha has taught. The Nagaropama Sutta, if we reintroduce that again, it's this patrol path. So the patrol path that is high and wide, again, it's very similar to security. If you imagine it just walking, patrolling the perimeter of, of the fortress. So the moat, which was hiri, is all around. Just assume that it's all around, so it's extra security barrier. And the patrol path is reinforcing the protection around the fortress. And so what the Nagaropama Sutta says is that just as a royal frontier fortress or citadel has a patrol path that is high and wide for the protection of those within and to ward off those without, in the same way the disciple of the noble ones has fear of wrongdoing. They're afraid for the suffering that results from bodily misconduct, verbal misconduct, mental misconduct and afraid when it comes to acquiring any bad unskillful qualities. With fear of wrongdoing as their patrol path, the disciple of the noble ones abandons what is unskillful, develops what is skillful, abandons what is blameworthy, develops what is blameless, looks after himself with purity. They possess this third good quality. Again, it's very similar to what we went through for Hiri. Again, it's a very active process. One has to actually actively make effort to abandon the unskillful thing. And then you develop what is skillful, and therefore as such you would abandon what is blameworthy, develop what is blameless, and you would hold your purity, your sila, your virtue. So the patrol path is very much, uh, as I was saying, reinforcement of protection. Uh, I like to think of it, because it's it, it, Nagaropama uses patrol path, I, li- I like to think of it as a security patrol, uh, security checks. And, and so when it says the patrol path is high and wide, then it makes it sound like, you know, these security checks or security patrols are expansive. They're like top-level protection. You've got them going around at very constant intervals. And when you have that in place, you can kind of see that the you, you cannot lean towards unwholesome conduct because you know the consequences and you know that you would accrue bad karma as a result of, of those things. How does this security check 
how, how was it done? Well, it's, it's clearly based on faith and, and wisdom, like conviction and, and wisdom, sadda and, and also panya. As with Hiri as well, there's a certain level of sadda towards the Buddha's teachings and a certain level of wisdom of, of what we've acquired up to this point in our practice, which is basically right view, that if we're walking the Noble Eightfold Path, it starts with this right view and particularly about karma. When we have this in place, particularly this fear of wrongdoing, what it helps us to do is to make wiser choices. That's why autarky is or often when you have it, you're, you're a prudent person, a wiser person, a bit like when we apply Nipako in the Karaniya Metta Sutta, I think of it like a similar thing, that you're able to make wiser choices and you're more mindful and discerning about karmic consequences, the ramifications, if I do this, this will happen. Sometimes people get confused about this fear versus bhaya. And, and what, I, what I think is that there is a distinction that orthopy, uh, this fear of wrongdoing, is a, is a healthy fear, whereas bhaya becomes unhelpful because it's steeped in the perversion of me and mine. And what we really need to be afraid of are, are the, the consequences of misconduct. So when you're more conscious of it, you're able to stay on the Noble Eightfold Path as a seeker. But if you're not wise and conscious of the unwholesome consequences, then you veer off, you stray off the Noble Eightfold Path and potentially Mara has taken you and, and anything could happen from there because you open the door to those sorts of things and there will be regrets and all, all the, those sorts of things start to happen. Now, one of the suttas that I find also quite useful in, in looking at this is the Samsapaniya Sutta, which we've looked at before when we've looked at Karaniya Metta, in the sense of this is the sutta that talks about creeping or one's kukatila. What, what this sutta says is clearly, you know, beings are the owners of their kamma, we're the heirs of our kamma, and kamma as our origin and kamma is our relative. So kamma as our resort and whatever kamma that we actually do, whether it's good or bad, we're the heirs of that kamma. So when it comes to what Buddha says in this sutta, Buddha says one creeps along by body, speech and mind. So that means your bodily kamma is crooked, one's verbal kamma is crooked, one's mental kamma is crooked. Or it could be one or all or some of, of, of that kind of unwholesome kamma. So if that's the case, then one's destination is crooked. And one's rebirth is crooked. What Buddha is saying here is that you can expect two different kinds, two destinations. You either exclusively are in painful hells or you are some species of creepy animals. So the pictures that I've depicted here, creepy type insects and, and animals who, who have clearly demonstrated in previous existence crooked kamma. So that's healthy to know that that's healthy fear if you can see that before you embark on crooked physical verbal or, or mental actions have that in mind then it can be actually very helpful for you to quickly go oh i must abandon this and let me look at the wholesome side rather than have harsh speech you would have gentle speech or encourage yourself to develop gen more gentle speech rather than divisive speech to curb your tongue or to actually you know, refrain, the curb equals refrain or, or actually not participate in that kind of conversation or when thoughts come to the mind that are particularly unwholesome to nip them in the bud 
and likewise with physical actions and things of that nature. And, and that requires a lot of energy and application. Whereas when it comes to buyer, buyer can be, that kind of fear can be quite debilitating, quite difficult to come out of because it's very protective in a different way. If you remember buyer agathi, it comes under the manosanchetana ahara, so the mental volition as nutriment. And you end up in bioagati, like going the bad way through fear. And the perversion that takes hold is really me and mine. You actually don't see this form correctly. You see it as lasting. And then you see it worth taking as me and mine. And so when it comes from that level, the best example I could probably give at this point is really if you were in a situation that someone came to rob your house, most people would defend and even resort to violence in order to defend. I mean, this is just the average society, so I'm not talking about individually any one of you, but just the average society, the person would say, yes, I have a right to defend myself, and that even means taking arms because our legal system says self-defense is a valid defense, so you won't necessarily go to jail for that. But in Buddha's law of karma, that doesn't apply, and that's really important to know the distinction that... If you remember even Kakatrupama Sutta, that even if uh, someone is sawing off your limb, you wouldn't even have a bad word for them. You would only spread metta. I mean, the, the, the gravity, I think, that Buddha is emphasizing in many of these suttas is that the consequences are very, very dire. And, and so one does not end karma that way. One actually makes more, and you're making more unwholesome karma. So I think this is the distinction between the type of healthy fear and unhelpful, maybe even dangerous fear because you go the bad way. The other thing to, to say is that we need to arouse more energy if we have this knowledge. Now, there's one other sutta I would quickly touch on because uh, we've, we've covered it before. It's the Bhyasana Sutta, which is about the five losses. And so there's five different losses, loss of relatives, loss of wealth, loss of health, loss of moral virtue, and loss of view. Now, in this sutta, Buddha is emphasizing that the other losses are actually, you won't end up in a bad destination. So loss of relatives, loss of wealth, loss of health. But the last two, the loss of your sila, the sila bhyasana, and the ditti bhyasana, the loss of view, the loss of right view, you could end up in a bad destination. And so I think when it comes to everyday law and order, that distinction between everyday law and order and the law of karma that, that Buddha talks about, that distinction is very important. And so when you cultivate or tapi, as Buddha has taught it, it's very good to know that distinction and to bring it to mind and to really see that it is a great loss when you have the wrong view, when you don't emphasize enough the law of karma above even what our society considers law and order and self-defense. In terms of otapi, I think what Buddha also says in other suttas is that if you don't have this, this fear of wrongdoing, this otapi, if you don't have it sufficiently, it's very difficult to attain enlightenment. I think his words are exactly, you're incapable of attaining enlightenment, incap incapable of attaining the supreme security from bondage. You're, you're just not afraid of the, the unwholesome things and you don't cultivate enough of the, the wholesome things because you're quite reckless is, is what comes up there. I think it's really important that uh, we arouse uh, sufficient energy in order to see this. 
So I'd like to do another meditation now. This is particularly on autopi, so the fear of wrongdoing. And I have just a few steps, very similar to the Hiri meditation that we did just then, but this one in relation to fear of wrongdoing. So we actually see what it looks like, how, we actually, how it kicks in. So the first step is to recall a recent situation. So it can be the same one you had before, or it could be a new one. So recall a recent situation where you've had some kind of misconduct through body, speech and mind. Now I want you to investigate whether that fear of wrongdoing came in, like at that point of about to embark on that thing or as it was happening, was there any fear of wrongdoing of the consequences? Fully, partially, not at all? It's okay if it's not at all. It's just to know whether you, you actually have a sense of this. And by that I mean, does it say, oh, if I do this, then could end up in a bad destination? You know, any kind of breaking of sila, as this Biasana uh, Sutta is saying, you'll end up in a bad destination. And having wrong view, like not having the right view about the law of karma, will also send you in that direction too. So that's the second step. The third step is to contemplate the karmic consequences. Again, you would bring to mind Samsapaniya Sutta, or you'll bring to, to mind the Biasana Sutta. You really want to see there is a danger in what I have done, like this recent misconduct. There is a danger in what I have done. And when you see that, then you regret and you abandon. Okay, so you regret and abandon that misconduct in your mind. And then the fourth step is you consider what would you do next time and what kind of things should you be saying to yourself as you're about to embark on that. And then rejoice that. Rejoice that, that quality of, of fear of wrongdoing, that dread of wrongdoing. It's a, it's a healthy one. A delight in the fact that you know what it will sound like. You know that next time this happens, this is what this is what should be in place as a security check. And the fifth step is really just make a strong intention towards cultivating more autarpy, more fear of wrongdoing. So just to repeat those meditation steps again, you recall a recent situation of misconduct. could be the same one you, you picked before or a new one. The second step is you investigated whether there was any sense of fear of wrongdoing that kicked in. The third step is you look at the karmic consequences of that particular misconduct. You think about the Sansapaniya Sutta, the Biasana Sutta, and you think, okay, where, where will this end up? And then you recognize the danger. It's a place of loss, having done that kind of behavior, that, that kind of activity. So you regret it and you abandon it. And then the fourth step is you consider what would you think next time, next time this situation arises, you know, what would you like in terms of autopi to, to appear, this fear of wrongdoing? And then the fifth is to make a strong intention, to nurture this quality. It's clearly one that helps you to follow this path, stay on the path, and ultimately realize Nibbana. Okay, so let's do this meditation for 15 minutes. Uh, so 15 minutes. Theravan Saranai. So we'll end the session here. So let's share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wish you all well. Teruan Saranai.